You're listening to a podcast from Northeast Christian Church. For more information about Northeast, go to ncclex.org. Thanks for listening. A short search reveals all the, all the ways that you're the first line of defense. You know you're the first line, parents, of defense in stopping your kids from using drugs, from getting involved in gangs, from internet pornography, and from making, for making your kids safe when they're in the water. Do you know you're the first line of defense for your kids' learning on how they use money against obesity and safety while they're playing sports? Do you know that you're the first line of defense against online predators, alcohol use, cyber bullies, and against problem gambling among youth? You might not realize this, but mom and dad, you're the first line of defense in every trouble spot in your kid's life. Moms and dads, you have a tremendous influence on the life path your kids will take, especially as it deals with their spiritual development. In the book Soul Searching, The Religious and Spiritual Lives of American Teenagers, the authors found that 52% of 13 to 17-year-olds reported that they attend religious services at least twice a month. When asked how often they would choose to attend, those same students said there were 60% stated that they would attend twice a month. The data seems to indicate that the American parents' strong influence the level of church involvement by their teenagers. When parents don't participate because they're tired or they would rather spend time doing something else or because they're spiritually disengaged themselves, the result is a growing spiritual ignorance among so many children. They would love to have answers to life's biggest questions, but The truth is, parents oftentimes feel uncomfortable providing those answers. Dr. Meg Meeker, in her book, I would recommend it to you. If you're raising boys, it's entitled, Boys Should Be Boys, Seven Secrets to Raising Healthy Sons. This is what she says in her book. She says, as a doctor, my own clinical experience confirms that all the, what all the research tells us, that religion is good for boys. We could almost say it's necessary for them. You see, too many parents have been misled about what their responsibilities are regarding spiritual development of their kids. Many of us have read all of these childcare books and all the psychology books, and they're full of all these tips on how not to stifle our child's self-esteem and unique personality. We enthusiastically don't want our children to be pushed by us in any direction, educationally or psychologically or even spiritually. So we hold back when we should actually be leading them. Many parents explain that they want their kids to grow up, to make their own decisions about God. They want their children to make their own choices about which, if any religion at all, that they would believe in. And truthfully, that's noble, because we know that a person's faith walk is personal, and it is predicated on the decision that they make to take Jesus in as their Lord and Savior. But it's also important to remember that it's our job as parents to educate and to motivate our kids to read and think on their own. 
The fatal flaw, though, is that children can't choose from an empty menu. Asking a child to choose his or her faith is like asking them to plan an itinerary for a vacation to a country they've never heard of before. If you want to help your child, teach them about your faith. This starts with figuring out what you believe and why you believe what you believe about God. All the evidence that our, that our, about our children tells us that not only do they want not only do they want detailed, meticulous, well-thought-out answers about God, they need them. They need those answers. It actually makes their lives better. At least that's what the research tells us. Religion is protective for kids. Now, religion, I'm going to define it in kind of maybe the basis, lowest kind of definition possible. It's defined as a belief in God. An active participation in worshiping in a church, going to youth groups, and being involved in church activities. Research shows us that religion, defined like that, does a number of things. Listen to this list. It helps kids stay away from drugs. It helps keep kids away from sexual activity. It helps keep kids away from smoking. Religion, as we define it, gives kids moral guidance. It gives kids feelings of mental and psychological security. It helps them to set boundaries and stay out of trouble. It helps teens keep a good perspective on life. And it helps kids feel better about their bodies and their physical appearance. And this is just a very small sampling of the positive results that research has found in a life that's involved in a church. It says in Proverbs 22.6, Train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. I love the way the New English translates that first part of that verse. It says, start a boy on the right road. The right road, as opposed to the wrong road, is the way that we want our children to go. The idea of the right road versus the wrong road is determined by where that road leads When a road leads to despair or destruction, addiction or death, it's the wrong road. And we don't want our kids on that road. There's an interesting point about the book of Proverbs. In the book of Proverbs, there are only two ways that a child can go. The way of the wise and the righteous. Sometimes it's called the way of life. Or the way of the fool and the wicked. The right road, the way of life, is the way we want our kids to. To travel. The way this verse, Proverbs 22 6, is translated shows that there's a standard of life to which one should go, and it's never too early to start them on that road. And the result, the verse says, is that when he is old, he won't depart from all of that. So I want to make a proposition to those of you who are parents or those of you who have kids in your life who are important to you. I want you to be the first line of defense to make certain that your kids or these kids that are important to you are discipled. You're the first line of defense in discipling your kids. And your kids need to know God. They need to have a personal relationship with Jesus. They need to be listening to the Holy Spirit. So be the first line of defense to make certain 
that your kids are discipled. Now, some of you may be wondering, why do kids need to be discipled? Why is all that important? Well, this is the spiritual development process for all humans, all mankind, discipleship. And I want to give you two reasons why it's vitally important that your kids get discipled. Reason number one, hope. Hope. Hope is a critical element that is missing in the lives of hundreds and thousands of children across America. Hope is that forward-thinking belief. When a child hopes, he or she can sit in the midst of extraordinary difficulties and they can grab hold of the belief that something better is yet still to come. This hope, it lessens the pain that they deal with. Viktor Frankl, who was a Jewish psychiatrist, was in a Nazi concentration camp during World War II. After surviving that horrible internment, he wrote his now famous book, Man's Search for Meaning. Frankel wrote that the men who were able to survive the camp did so because of one factor. You probably guessed it. Hope. Those men who were able to focus on a positive future not only found meaning in their suffering... They were able to fall out of their filthy barracks and drag their emaciated bodies one more day to the workyard for another round of work. In contrast, the men who dwelt constantly on the present or who focused on life as it was before their imprisonment fell into believing that life was meaningless. These men began on an inward journey of decay. While the lives of American children are rarely filled with starvation, torture, or humiliation, like that of the prisoners who lived with Frankel in the concentration camp, yet many children today understand loneliness. They understand meaninglessness. They understand boredom. And they understand emotional anguish because they feel it in their own lives. The answer for all these kids is the same as it was for Frankel. It is living with a deep hope that something better is coming. Because without it, they will begin a process of inner decay. Psalm 31.24 says, Be strong and take heart, all you who hope in the Lord. The psalmist is right. You will find hope in God. And it makes us strong. And not only do our kids need that, every single one of us need that. Well, there's a second reason, not just hope, but there's a second reason why we need to disciple our kids, and that's simply love. Love. Our kids live in a world that Dr. Ravi Zacharias says squanders the sacred to protect the profane. That's what happens when a culture doesn't teach their children about God. They don't know the difference between right and wrong. So they celebrate the profane and they ridicule the sacred. This shows itself when kids develop ideas about love. For boys, as an example, whose reference points or their influences are profane, they see love as essentially nothing more than sex. And love is basically superficial. Boys who follow this path they will feel empty because they have this disjointed notion of what love really is. There's no depth to it. Kids with a strong faith, though, 
they are much more likely to regard God as representing this perfect love. They know that that love is not all about sex or even about romance. It's about caring and empathy and doing what is right. The biblical example of love is found in the Greek word agape. It's defined as loving unconditionally. It's the idea of loving simply because that person exists. That's the only reason. They're there, and thus we love them. And everyone wants to experience a feeling of being loved without conditions, especially our kids. The problem for kids, though, is that unconditional love is really hard to come by today. Our kids will understand it, and they will repeat it when they see it in us. John 3.16 is arguably the best-known verse in all the Bible. It says, for God so loved the world. John uses the word agape there. For God so loved the world unconditionally. For God so agape the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. God is one being who kids can always turn to because if unconditional love actually exists, it most certainly can be found in God. Kids need to know that they deserve agape love. You know, hearing God loves you might sound trivial to many adults, but it can be a powerful, powerful reality to kids who believe it. God does love them. He might be the only one that loves them. It can be a game changer for them. This kind of love validates their self-worth, and all of us need that level of validation. And you know, as parents, we have the capacity to make that kind of impact in our kids' lives, or kids who are important to us. Thomas Aquinas regarded love as the root of all other passions, and he talks about this idea of passion being rooted in love. And when you think about it, when daughters talk about their fathers, the conversation can get emotionally charged. Some daughters adore their fathers. Others hate them. Sometimes they do both simultaneously. Dad, hear me when I say this. Your daughter yearns to secure your love. And throughout her life, she'll need you to prove it. A daughter identifies easily with her mom. That's probably why they get on each other's nerves sometimes. They're a lot alike. But dad, you're her first love. The early years of your relationship with your daughter are crucial. The love you give her is her starting point. You have other loves in your life, dad, but she doesn't. Every man who enters her life will be compared to you. Every relationship she has with a man will be filtered through your relationship that you have with her. If you have a good relationship, she will choose boyfriends who will treat her well. If she sees you as open and warm, she'll be confident with other men. But if you're cold and unaffectionate and distant, she'll find it hard to express love in a healthy way. First and foremost, dads, you need to tell her you love her. Not just on special occasions, but regularly. She needs to hear it. That might be easy when she's five, but she needs to hear it even more when she's 15. She needs to hear you say it all the time. See, when a daughter hears, I love you from her father, 
She feels complete. She feels safe. And our daughters need to hear that. They need to experience that. Well, let me give you one last thought, and then I'm going to wrap this message up. One of the best ways to show your kids unconditional love is through time. Being a parent means giving your kids time without being resentful about it. And I know that's hard. Trust me, I know. Many of us spend a lot of time working. So when we get home and there are even more demands on our time, we feel like distancing ourselves from our families, don't we? Your kid realizes this, but they might not tell you just how much they need your time. So you need to take the initiative to spend time alone with each of your kids. Some of the best medical literature out there regarding parenting and about keeping kids out of trouble comes from the Ad Health Study. With overwhelming evidence, the Ad Health Study found that kids who feel connected to their parents and who spend more time with them manage much better than kids that do not. In fact, parental influence can actually be more important to our kids than peer pressure. Who would have believed that? But that's what the research says. So I want to encourage you, with everything in me today, give your kids the best of yourself. Let them see you walking with God. Give them time so that you have a chance to shape them and mold them, invest in them. Be the first line of defense so that they are discipled and have a relationship with Jesus. Because that relationship with Christ not only will improve their life here, but it'll provide and secure a life eternal. Jesus is hope, and he is love. And last time I checked, all of us need that. So let's make sure that our kids have it. God gave us his his son as a sacrifice. That's what Jesus came to this world to do, to die so that we might have an opportunity to have a relationship with his father. His blood washes away the sins that we've committed to all those who put their faith and trust in Jesus. Some of you probably know the night before he was crucified, he had a meal with his disciples. And during that, he broke some bread and shared some wine with his disciples. And he communicated with them that this bread, he said, that we broke, it represents my body. And this wine, it represented his blood. And Jesus told his disciples, you know, when you meet together, do this little meal in remembrance of me. Remember what I did on the cross. So each week, we pause during our worship time to just meet around this little meal called the Lord's Supper. And the reason we do it is to remember the sacrifice that Jesus made for you and me. Let's pray. Lord, I'm so grateful for the gift of Jesus. God, thank you that you loved us. You agaped us. You loved us unconditionally to such a degree that you would send Jesus 
to be the sacrifice for our sins. And God, we're so forever grateful for that. Lord, I pray that as we meet around your table this morning, and we take this bread and we take this cup, we reflect on the sacrifice that Jesus made for each of us. As he took the punishment of the scourging and then the nails in his hands and feet, and then he hung there on the cross in all humility, his blood flowing down, poured out as an atonement for our sins. We are grateful for that, God. Can't imagine the pain that he went through for us, but we are so grateful that he would go so far for us because of the love that he has for us. Jesus, thank you for doing that. And as we meet around this Lord's Supper, I pray, God, you will draw us closer to you as we celebrate the precious gift of Jesus. Amen.